The Holy Gospel according to John, the 15th chapter. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch he bears, that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Jesus, thank you once again for your word, for your presence, for your shepherding and leading of us. I ask you to teach us this morning, draw us into your presence as a body, that we might honor you with our lives. And we thank you in your name. Amen. You may be seated. In the passage that I just read for you, there is this word that appears repeatedly, and it's the word abide. And if you have a Bible with you and want to open it to John chapter 15, we're just going to look at the first several verses. I want to talk to us a little bit this morning about, as Christians, what it means to abide in Jesus and to have Jesus abide in us. And the reason why I want to talk about it, first of all, is because that's the passage that I'm supposed to preach from today. But the second reason why I want to talk to you about this is because there's a lot of thought in Christianity today that really our job is to just obey some rules and guidelines that God gives for us and to just um, move on with our lives. And yet I think Jesus is tapping into something really, really important, and he actually ruffles a few feathers along the way, but if we listen carefully to what he's actually saying, it produces a lot of life for us. Um, our passage ends a little short here, but if you continue on through the passage down to verse 11, if you want to drop your eyes there, if you have a Bible, Jesus says to them as he's wrapping up this conversation, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's the point of all that Jesus is saying in the first several verses of John chapter 15. Jesus wants his joy to be in us, and he wants the joy that we experience to be full. Now, I don't know about you. Um, sometimes I go through life feeling kind of guilty that I'm not more joyful. Okay, that's not the goal. That's not the point. You're not supposed to feel bad that you don't feel joy. If you don't feel joy, we ought to explore why that's the case. And abiding is a great way to do that. Inviting Jesus inward to understand with us and for us why we experience the things we do and what his purposes are in our lives. 
But it's very interesting, if I were to look at the word abide, I've just opened my, you know, my Bible dictionary and look at the word for abide, and it just means to remain or abide. And you think, well, that doesn't really help me. What does it actually mean? Well, actually, if you look at all the references that John uses throughout his gospel, when he's using this word abide, this word isn't only found on Jesus' lips. John gives us um, commentary in his own gospel about what this word means. And I've, I've looked over all of them and I've, I've summed up for you what I think the word abide means in the gospel of John. And here it is, an inward enduring personal communion with someone or something. Now, let me show you what I mean. In John chapter three, it says that after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. That word remained we see in English, doesn't look like the word abide, but it's the same Greek word. This is an enduring personal communion with someone or something. Here, it is with people in Judea. Or the very next chapter in John chapter four, it says, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Now we know this passage is at the conclusion of Jesus's dealings with the woman at the well. And the woman at the well, after meeting with Jesus and communing with him in an abiding type relationship, opens her soul and her heart to her worst fears being realized by the public. Jesus accepts her, loves her there in that place. And she runs back to her village and she tells everyone in her words, she goes and tells them about a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought that someone would tell me everything I ever did is not a comforting thought to me. And yet, in the presence of Jesus, it's the most comforting thought in the world. That is because Jesus does not come to judge and to condemn but to deliver us. The woman now has such a compelling story. The woman who wanted to be in the shadows is now front and center with the only story she has to share, her own personal testimony. And what happens as a result? The people of her village beg Jesus to stay with them so that the same transformation that happened with her can happen with them. They're inviting him to abide with him. Interesting. Now, if you back all the way up to John chapter one, John says he bore witness that he saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on Jesus. Now, this is a little different. This is not Jesus remaining or abiding with people or Jesus inviting people to remain or abide with him. This isn't about people at all. This is about Jesus and the spirit. The Spirit and Jesus have a unique connection. Jesus is kind of remaining. Jesus is kind of abiding if we take our definition, means that in this passage, the spirit takes up an inward enduring personal communion with Jesus. And the spirit shapes for Jesus what his love is going to look like. And so the spirit remaining on Jesus serves two roles. And you will always see these roles happening throughout the gospels. And you will see these roles happening in your own life or in our life as a church. The first role that the spirit has is to remind Jesus of the love that the father has for him. This happens all the time in the gospels. 
And number two is to show Jesus what love for others ought to look like. These two things. The Spirit tells us and tells Jesus about the love the Father has for us, and then he also shows us the direction that that love would manifest itself outwardly. This is why we need the Spirit in our life, and this is why when the Spirit is at work in the life of a Christian, what happens? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Jesus' words to his disciples about apart from him you can do nothing is an invitation for us to acknowledge that apart from his abiding in us and us abiding in him, we won't be able to produce any of those things on our own. And so Jesus invites us, and so does the Spirit, into an invitation to understand love better both to experience the joy that comes from union with him and to embrace whatever effects the Spirit wishes to work in our lives and how we love other people. In short then, the gospel is an invitation into love. It's an invitation for you and I to experience real love, a love of a father who knows everything we've ever done and chooses to love us anyway, and then ones whose love transforms our insides such that we are able, in Jesus' words, to bear much fruit. We are embraced by the one who is love, and we allow him to have an inward, enduring, personal communion with us and us with him. The reality is, Every one of us abides somewhere. Every one of us resides in some place. Everyone has an inward enduring personal communion with someone or something. Which is why all the way back in Genesis 3, when the man and the woman took from the forbidden fruit and then they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, he came looking for them and asked them, where are you? And then the next question he asked them was, Who told you that you were naked? Who did you enter into an inward, enduring personal communion with such that you believed what he's speaking to you instead of what I've spoken to you? You and I might think of it like this. This is just where we live. It's what fuels our life and what causes us to do the things we do. This is why Jesus says something like this in John chapter 12. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Remain, abide. It's the same word. We know this as Christians who have been around for a while, but the Bible teaches us that people apart from the presence of Jesus are quite comfortable in the dark. We've grown naturally accustomed to it, which is why you all snickered and giggled when I said, if somebody approached me and told me everything I ever did, it wouldn't be very comforting. You laugh because you know it's true. Where do we not feel uncomfortable keeping those embarrassing things in the dark? Why? Because we have a good relationship with the darkness. It comes naturally to us. 
What doesn't come naturally? The light. Needing the presence of God to fuel our lives. That does not come naturally. So when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, and whoever does so will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing, most of us say, really, Jesus? We can do nothing. I mean, have you seen my work ethic? Do you know how many things I can I could administrate, you know, from the back of my, you know, just the back of my mind while I'm while I'm just, you know, doing something mindlessly around the house? But Jesus is tapping into something that I think is really important. And that's this idea that we have these long-standing abiding relationships with things like darkness, and it is not comforting, it is not normal, and it is not natural for us to want to approach him in the light. You know, all the way back in the garden, there were two trees in the midst of the garden, right? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, implication, was here is a tree that the Lord himself provides and was willing to give us of himself to provide all of our needs. That is the Lord's definition of how we live perfectly as human beings in his perfect world. We take our identity, our life, our direction, and our strength from him. It's a gift. Or we can reach out and take our identity, our life, and our strength for ourselves. That is symbolized in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And all through the Bible, trees, bushes, plants, vines, you name it, surface over and over and over again to attempt to explain to us spiritual realities in metaphorical terms. Every moment of our lives, we are faced with opportunities to draw life and strength from something that is living and to therefore feed our own selves or to reach out and attempt to produce the fruit on our own. You know, an author that I've read years ago used to use this illustration when talking about fruit. You know, he said you'd think there was something really troubled with somebody who went outside with a ladder and a staple gun and a bucket full of apples and went up to a dying, fading apple tree, climbed up on his ladder, bucket in one hand, staple gun in the other, and began to staple red, juicy apples to the edges of the branches of his dying apple tree. And then to walk back down the ladder, put the ladder away, put the bucket away, and invite his friends and family to look outside and to see all of the fruit that is growing on his beautiful apple tree. Now, you and I know that minus the staples and that little tiny connection there fabricated, that the life from that tree is not giving life to those apples. And in a matter of time, those apples are just going to drop off because the tree can't sustain them. It has no life in it. And his, his analogy was, how often do we do this as Christians? We know the kinds of things we're supposed to do, right? We're told the fruit of the Spirit. I remember growing up in church, having a Bible study on each of the fruits of the Spirit. They're not fruits, by the way. They're fruit. It's singular. It's not plural, okay? These are not nine different fruits in a fruit salad. This is one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and they are nine characteristics of this one fruit. So take your favorite fruit, and think of nine adjectives you would use to describe the taste of that fruit to your best friend. That's what Paul's doing in Galatians 5 when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. So an apple is red, it's juicy, it's crunchy, it's sweet, 
it's, I don't know, like a baseball. I'm not really sure. I can't even think of nine. I can't even come up with nine fruit, right? But the idea is not that you and I then go out tomorrow and we try our darndest to be more loving, to be more joyful, to be more kind, to be more patient. Have you ever tried that? The running joke in Christian circles is don't pray for patience or then, you know, all of a sudden all this stuff in their life is going to go crazy. You know why that happens? Because you're trying to do it. You are trying to produce in your own life what you know you're called to do. What does Jesus say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I'll be blunt with you. That doesn't sit well and is not believed by thousands of Christians. It's just not believed. Of course we can. Of course we should do that. But Jesus is serious. Remember, his point is for our joy to, his joy to be in us and for our joy to be made full. He wants us to know the freedom that comes from having his life flow through us, in us, and outward to those outside of us. If you abide in me and I in you, an inward, personal, enduring communion. This is what he has called us to. This is the calling of a follower of Jesus, is to come before him each day. And I'm just going to tell you, this is what it's looking like in my life. I wake up in the morning and my first prayer is, I have a lot of things I'm trying to do today. I know my tendency today is to control and manipulate the circumstances and the people in my life such that they do what I think is best and therefore my day goes better. I'm gonna give all those people and all those circumstances to you. They're not my responsibility. If I reach out and try to take them today, I am going to make a mockery of you. I'm gonna wreck the day. I need you to help me here. I need you to show me which things in my life you are calling me to grab a hold of and which things you want me to leave alone. Because apart from you showing me, I'm gonna mess it up. I don't even know if that's right. That's just what I'm doing. I'm trying this on. I can't come up here and preach this unless I at least attempt to do it in my own life. Jesus is offering us hope. He's offering us comfort. He says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here's what Jesus wants to do. He says to his disciples at the beginning of the passage that every branch that in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Here's something that took me years of my life to figure out. There are areas in our lives where we need dependence on him more. But there are also areas in our lives where we are doing good things in following his leading. And he is saying, you are doing right. You are honoring me by the way that you live. And because you are, I'm going to cut off the fruit that you are bearing so that you are able to bear more fruit. The reason why this took me so long to figure out was when Jesus would come in and disrupt something that I thought was perfectly good and fine, I was asking, what is wrong with me? Was I in error this whole time? Was I doing something wrong? Is he here to rebuke me and to correct me? And Jesus is saying, no. Anyone who tends to plants and gardens and prunes things may know that when a new grapevine is planted, in the first year, it will grow grapes. They will be wild and they will be straggly. 
But a good vine dresser, I am told, will cut off between 90 and 95% of the first year's growth in order to make the second year's growth richer, fuller, and better. If you didn't trust that system, you'd think the vine dresser was an idiot because you're lopping off all of this perfectly good fruit. And the vine dresser is saying, oh no, you don't have a clue the rich fruit that I can produce through you if you let me cut off the things that are fruit but aren't exactly what I want you to do. This is why our walk of faith is an intimate abiding relationship because it is different all the time. It calls for different responsibilities and different roles all the time. It's just like any other relationship. And your unique makeup with Jesus's um, person is going to make it look different in each of our lives. This is what to me is the most fun about a shared ministry is we not only have a lot of individuals, but we have two different churches who also have the fruit that churches produce. And we're both coming together now saying, what is Jesus wanting to do with our new shared ministry? What is Jesus wanting to do with this new place I find myself? That's an encouraging thought, but it's one that doesn't just happen. He's inviting us in to experience his love and his presence in and through us and for us, and then asking us to trust in him as he leads us to love, care for, and serve one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your words to us, for your position as the vine, and how you just pour out life constantly so that we might bear fruit. Thank you for offering yourself for us and um, continually offering yourself so that we might be filled up. Show us this week if we are drawing our strength from somewhere other than you, abiding and resting in someone or something other than you, and show us where and how our joy might be made fuller if we drew our strength from you. We thank you and we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.